And then, other than that, um, not a lot. <laughs> no. Um, did you watch the England game? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Very professional. You can feel the chemistry already. <laughs> I was deeply pissed by the time the game kicked off. Really gonna have to cut this. <laughs> We're definitely going to have to cut this. But I feel we should get off this subject now, making me annoyed. I bet he's in your fantasy team. There goes our hopes of this being a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want this call to do well. And someone who, you know, obviously hopes that it doesn't go well at United. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Lawrence and Ed podcast with me, Ed. And me, Lawrence. It's very special in that we don't really have anything to talk about this week, do we? No, and yet here we are recording. Yeah, is it, too, anyway. is it too early to declare that it's going to be a bad podcast and that the listeners should just turn <laughs> off now? Well, I think you can get away with it because if it does magically turn out to be a good one, then you can delete that bit and if not you can leave it in as some sort of prophetic warning okay like a content warning yeah warning this will contain very boring conversations (laughs) (laughs) yes so did you watch the england game (laughs) do you know what i actually i didn't did you um i caught the second half of it was that uh, how many goals had we scored by then I think it was two. Oh, see, so at least you saw th- three goals. Yes. Was it five now? I don't know. I yeah, feel like but... I saw two of the goals. Okay. But it might just be that one of them was forgettable. I mean, I just don't get why we bother with... I mean, especially if there was ever more of a sign that the game should have just been called off, it's that the stadium caught fire the day before <laughs> and damaged the pitch and the dugout and all the places the players need to use. And they've gone, no, 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 the the people want this. (laughs) We need to do all we can to put this on. That was my favourite part of the game. It might actually be my favourite moment of international football ever. Um, Because it's just rare that, well, two things. A, it's rare that a stadium catches fire these days. And sort of B, it's rare that that happens (laughs) without people dying. So normally you can't. Normally you can't enjoy the stadium randomly catching on fire for two reasons. Because one, even if it does happen, you sort of, people die so and that it does always put a down on that. a football match doesn't it <laughs> it does it's never the ideal result if you will i mean when you say a stadium rarely catches fire these days do you have some obscure history knowledge that back in it's not it's not obscure but bradford stadium burnt down didn't it and people yeah. died in that one so yeah but that was that's one stadium one more than had happened recently <laughs> no like, obviously it's it's terrible and it's a tra- it's an absolute tragedy that that happened but like the way you said it, it was like oh these days back in the good old days the stadium caught fire every week is how you were making it sound i bet when we started recording this you didn't think that you would have to um make out that you are sad about the the bradford stadium catching fire uh, i bet you didn't think that was one of the things we were going to talk about I didn't. I didn't. And I feel like I've been set up. I feel like you've led me down a path here, Lawrence. And you've made you made me I now have to apologize you, to the city of Bradford. You know, you know, the other day, uh, one of my or well, my 
what grinds my gears was the um was was players praying on the pitch. Oh yeah. Um nothing has made me believe in a god more than the fact that the VAR monitor was destroyed in that stadium fire. <laughs> it's a message. So did they just not have VAR? No, they did, unfortunately. They oh. had more than one screen in Andorra. So <laughs> Oh right. I mean, what, what was there anything of note from that game? Did any did any obs- more obscure England players play well? Stake a claim. Sam Johnson did a really long throw that led to a goal. Who? The goalkeeper Sam Sam Johnson Johnson the West Brom one. Oh right. He's bald. Didn't he used to play for United? Yeah, he was part of the the academy. But yeah, he did a massive massive throw, and it oh. ended up in the goal by I mean, Grealish. So to be honest, that happened. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know why we don't just go with someone like that because Nick Pope is always injured and I think he's probably the best goalkeeper we've got, best of a bad bunch. Pickford, I think, is shit. But do you not find that it would be a lot more boring watching England if you didn't have Pickford going absolutely mental in even the most, like, nothing situation? He just screams at everyone to calm down, even when (laughs) everyone is calm. And And I just think England... Yeah, it would just be boring. It would be boring if England had a boring Nick Pope who's just competent at being in goal. So is that who draws you in to watch the England games? It's all about Pickford for you? Yeah, because you know it's always got a moment of madness or anger in him. And I think that's a lot to be said for that in footballers. I wish there was more of it. And I suppose England have got a bit of a history of that, haven't we? Because... Paul Robinson, I remember his the back pass that rolled over his foot. That was that was yeah, good. That Always was loving good. That England was keeper. And obviously Rob Green at the World Cup. Yeah. Did you see the Wales own goal? I've, I've heard it's bad. Was it Danny Ward? It was good. Yeah, I think so. Because he's he, that was good. What 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 happened then? What did he do? I can't really remember other than the fact <laughs> that the keeper sort of tried to slide to keep it out, sort of kicked it into the goal off of himself and ended up also in the goal. I think it was just, he didn't do it with dignity and grace. Some own goals, they're sort of just resigned to the fact that it's happened. He just ended up, lost all his dignity, ended up in the goal as well. I think that's just not good. Got to play it cool if you're going to score a horrible own goal. The only match that I caught the very end of in the, during the international break was the Nations League final, which is basically just another friendly, but you get a trophy. And I quite um, enjoyed it. It was, you know, it, it was a good game. And I thought, but it was a good game because both teams were taking it seriously, which is unlike every other international match. Like, actually, just before we go on to that, uh, Thibaut, Thibault, whatever, however you pronounce it, Courtois, did you see his interview in the, the pre the build up to the Belgium game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just like, don't want to play this game. Why are we playing? <laughs> yeah. It's stupid. <laughs> you know, I've never really like had much time for him because everyone, when he was at Chelsea, everyone was banging on about what a brilliant keeper he was. And I thought he was just part of a very good Chelsea team. I didn't think he was actually that good. But he's he's gone so high up in my estimations now for that comment of just like, yeah, I don't really want to play. We're just playing it because you for want money. <laughs> well, I had a, I've always had time for him ever since he nailed De Bruyne's girlfriend. That's... You know, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's got to go in his favour because De Bruyne does look like a little bit of a whiny man child. So, yeah, the be- and it happens the fact that it was Chelsea that this all happened just 
the John Terry legacy lives on. <laughs> well, did you know, apparently that was an institutionalised thing. Like It was a part of your initiation at Chelsea was that John Terry had to take your wife out for dinner. And it's like, how was this allowed to happen for as long as it did? That's just, it's just so not okay. I reckon it still happens. It's still part of the, the he, Chelsea what, he initiation. Just, he just comes down from Villa. Is he still at Villa? He, I don't no, know. he left. He left Villa. Why? I don't know. I'm not part of his inner circle. <laughs> no, but like, was it to pursue management? Well, or? Other other interests. <laughs> yeah, to, to, pursue, <laughs> to pursue friends' wives. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to become the new Vinnie Jones. He's going to go in films. <laughs> heard he's the new Bond. Oh, my God. Have you seen the new Bond? I have seen the new Bond. And what did you think? Well, if this was a film podcast, I'd tell you. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's fine. There's nothing else to talk about. It's only been international break. Yeah, I mean, do we want to spoil it for any of the 10 people listening that haven't seen it? Well, no, I mean, you could just say whether you enjoyed it or not. I wasn't looking for yeah, a, but my, a shot my by enjoyment, shot. My whether I enjoyed it or not is a, a multifaceted point. I enjoyed seeing the film. I did not rate the story or the ending particularly. Okay. Well, I'll have to ask you about that off podcast then, because otherwise we are just going to spoil it for everyone. Yeah. yeah do you think Tom hasn't seen it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're, we're, we're naming our listeners now, are we? <laughs> Hello, Tom. <laughs> so who do you think the next Bond's going to be? Presumably not John Terry. I can tell you who I'd like it to be. Who would you like it to be? Danny DeVito. <laughs> do you know what? That would honestly be the highest grossing film of all time if that happened. That Have you seen so the good. film with where him and Arnold Schwarzenegger play brothers? No. Oh, you have? Oh, my God. I can't even remember what it's called, but it's just... It was made in, like, the early 90s or the 80s, so it would never get made now, but it's just... You've got to watch it. It's, it's awful, but it's also brilliant. It's the duo you never knew you needed. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's the duo we all deserve, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't really, other than Danny DeVito, I don't, I don't really know any actors. I, I know them. I, I do know some actors, but I don't really know any who, like, could be Bond, because I could tell you that Benedict Cumberbatch is an actor, but I don't want him to be Bond. No, but I mean, you know the people that have been linked with it. So like Tom Hardy has been linked, Idris Elba's been linked, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. I nearly said Tom Huddlestone. That's bringing it back to football. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be really good at killing people from range, but anything else <laughs> yeah, yeah. other than that, like one, one out of every 50 you'll hit from, from range, everything else, just yeah. shit. And it will be set in Hull, Tottenham, and who else did he play for? I think Derby. It was just, did he play for Derby? I think he played for Derby. That I would love to right. see the the Bond scriptwriters come up with a story that links those places. <laughs> well, it'll be... I mean, Have you seen Mike Ashley supposedly buying Derby? Oh, I thought you were going to say he's been linked with the next Bond. Oh, maybe a Bond villain. <laughs> I reckon he would be the Bond villain in a film that went from Tottenham to Hull to Derby. Yeah, just the most low-budget Bond villain that there is. Yeah, that would be <laughs> shit. <laughs> you imagine um, that, I did that... see that. I did see him linked with Derby. My first thoughts were sort of have Derby not suffered enough. He just wouldn't really invest beyond keeping the club just about afloat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the person who's coming out of the Derby situation best is Wayne Rooney. 
when he's not injuring his players. But, you know, when he's he's come out and said that he's going to stay there and that they seem to play decent football and they, they score a lot of goals and they're back into positive figures now, aren't they? So if they do go down, it's not really the fault of... It's not like they played shit and they lost 10 points. If they do go down, it will be because... They, it was more than 10, wasn't it? Wasn't it like it was 12? I think it was 12. And then yeah. they've got the danger of another nine points just because they've now got back into positive territory. So let's dock them some more points. Yeah. I mean, um, he's sort of a bit of a... He seems... He's done all right there. I think he went through a spell at the end of last season where I think he started well and then the team went on a rotten run and I think they survived relegation because another team lost rather than them winning on the final day, I think. Um, but he's almost a bit of a, just a throwback to when sort of English players just used to go and manage like in the lower league somewhere. Yeah. Sort of before. And he's sort of, I can just sort of see he has done a decent job, but I can't really imagine anyone <laughs> above the championship, particularly taking him on as a manager. He sort of just, as a manager, seems like he fits well in the championship. Which is yeah. weird because he's one of the best players England have ever had. But just as a manager, he has that vibe, especially as he's getting older and fatter. Just <laughs> <sort of laughs> well, I think especially because undoubtedly he was, in terms of talent, he was one of the best players England have ever had. But I think in terms of attitude, and not, not attitude in the sense of being motivated to play football, but attitude in the sense of looking after yourself. I think he's probably one of the worst England have ever had. Like he, I think when he was at his peak, he was still smoking and boozing and which, you know, if you can do that and still be England's record goal scorer, then brilliant. But it's not exactly what you want from a coach when you're trying to promote professionalism, is it? <laughs> no, but again, maybe that's why he fits in well in the championship. It's a bit more of a, an amateur vibe about it, but it's, he's actually a few months younger than Ronaldo I think and obviously you look at the two of them <laughs> now it's just it just is not aged well but he is a bit of a I suppose he's a bit of a throwback in that regard as well to when like in the 80s and whatever like the England team would just be out on the piss before yeah. and after the game and probably at half time as well speaking of ex-players turning up in the lower leagues managing I think it was Barnett they sacked Harry Kuehl do you remember him I do remember him. I saw he was sacked and my first reaction, like everyone else, was, oh, I had no idea he was even no. a manager. No, nor did I. I think he's, he's, he's been going, I think he was at Notts County, no, was it Notts County? It was someone like that that he was knocking about a bit and then obviously it hasn't gone well for him at Barnet. But yeah, I thought, oh, that was a, do you know, he was, he was the first player I got on the back of my shirt. My Liverpool shirt was Harry Kuehl. Shows how shit Liverpool were when you were younger. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's one of the more forgettable number sevens Liverpool have had. But there we go. Yeah, who would you say is the worst? The worst number seven. Yeah, the I mean, not ever like that you oh. can remember. Um, take your time. Well, I will, because they haven't, to be honest, they've all been pretty good. I mean, James Milner at the moment, I wouldn't say he's like a particularly, you know, he's a pretty inoffensive player, does the job. Luis Suarez was obviously brilliant. Um, I'm not sure, who was it between Suarez and, because if you go a bit further back, it was obviously Vladimir Smisa who scored in the final. So 
that's um wouldn't say he's the worst either. I just felt sure there must have been someone shit, but at some point, but maybe not. Maybe they never trusted the likes of Cisse with the number oh, I'll seven. Tell you, shirt. I'll tell you, no, I do. Okay, no, I will tell you who was the shittest one that I can remember. Robbie Keane. Oh, I forgot about Robbie Keane. Forgot he was at Liverpool, one of these many boyhood clubs. Oh, that was, yeah, every single time. This is my dream. Always wanted to be here. It's when he did it with like LA Galaxy that everyone was like, just shut up. <laughs> like, you can understand what like Spurs, Liverpool, even when he went to, I think he was at Inter Milan like early on in his career and I'm pretty sure he said something like that and you can kind of say okay he grew up watching into like fine okay whatever but LA Galaxy who probably weren't even a club when when he was growing up those were the days I forgot he was even at Liverpool who's the shittest number seven you can remember at United I think it would have to be but the one I dislike the most was probably Di Maria yeah. Because um, he was just a twat and he didn't want to be there. And ever since he's left, he's just whined like a little bitch about United. Um, and then Ashley Young pushed him down the, the hill at Old Trafford and he cried. That was good. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, because normally, obviously, it was, you know, Beckham and then Ronaldo. And then they gave it to Valencia and he was pretty shit, but he still played like, I don't know, 300, 400 games. United, so sort of not that terrible. I, Michael again, and you know, Michael Owen had it. Um, and he was you know old, but he had a good career, so and he scored that goal against City. So again, it's sort of yeah, and I'm trying to remember more recently. I know Memphis the Pie had it, and he was shit, but he's gone on, he's now at Barcelona, so he's not. No, it's so not he's, like he's so he's really gemper, gemper. <laughs> yeah. He's imagine if he'd gone to Bar. I feel sorry for well, I don't feel sorry for Aguero, but Aguero went to Barcelona to play with Messi. Messi then left and now he's pretending to be injured until he can leave. Yeah. So I think you've got to respect that. Just the <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. injured injured now until January. <laughs> yeah, funny that. If you could pick one signing. I'll tell you what, let's let's do it the other way around. So if you can pick one signing for Liverpool that was the worst signing that you can remember, and I'll pick one for United. All right, Andy Carroll. Really? Just because of the money, just the money. 50 million for Andy Carroll. No, just... It was 35. Oh, yeah. Well, that was with the 50 million they got for someone else, wasn't it? For Torres, and then spunk 35 million on Andy yeah, Carroll. But then 20, he's the one that comes to mind. On Suarez. Yeah, he's the one that comes to mind immediately. Okay, that's I'm sure there have been worse. I'm sure there have been worse players, but it's just the fee, and that was back when 35 million was a you know more money than it is now. Now, when somebody signs someone with 35 million, then you sort of sort of just your average transfer fee. That's interesting because like he was he was bad. Don't get me wrong, but that's not who I would have picked. That's very interesting. Can I change my answer to Roy Hodgson? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's more. I mean, that was a very dark. That was a very dark time for me. <laughs> that was terrible. Um, well, since you asked, my one for United. Well, I assumed you were going to go on and say it anyway. So, <laughs> I would say, do you remember David Bellion? Yeah, I do remember him. He made some appearances. Sort of, he'd he'd play like the last couple of Champions League group games when we were already through. 
he'd make his way onto the pitch and just be completely anonymous. Yeah, I'd say him or uh, Cleberson. Yeah, Cleberson. He was bad. He did nothing. For someone that had won the World Cup. Well, exactly. And that's what the weird thing. And I remember when he was, because it must have been about 2003 you signed him. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. And I I remember he was really good on FIFA and he'd just won the World Cup. And I remember United signing him and it was kind of like, oh, well, he'll probably be good. And he just never played. He was. Yeah, it was back sort of, it was back in a time where obviously I was not that old. But also, there was still a little bit of like mystery about players from certain countries. Like, never seen him play before, didn't know who he was, but he won the World Cup. So there was that sort of that. Oh, he must be good. No idea who he is, but he must be good. Whereas now, you'd know that he plays for this team. This is what you just you sort of. There's not really anyone where you don't really know who they are anymore. I would have gone for Liverpool. I would have gone. It's, there's two that spring to mind instantly. One of them is of the Roy Hodgson era, which is Paul Koncheski. He was the worst. He was particularly back, bad. The worst left back I've ever seen when he was at Liverpool. He was he was all right for West Ham and for Fulham, but for some reason when he was at Liverpool, he was he just forgot how to play even the very basics of football. Uh, and Christian Paulson as well, who had somehow managed to play for Juventus. And then walked into the Liverpool team and he played a few games. It was back when we were always in the Europa League and uh, just just the most you know that, player to watch. I, I didn't even remember he played for Liverpool, but it did bring to mind um, Aquilani. I'd forgotten about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His legs didn't work, did they? <laughs> no, no. That was a really strange signing because he was, he was obviously good enough to get the move, but was injured. And then he was... Decent when he left as well for someone else in Italy. I think it was Fiorentina he ended up at. But it's just, you know, it's a bit like what we were saying a few weeks ago, that there are some players that you just don't, when they join a club, you just have a feeling that it's not going to work out. And Aquilani was one of those. It was, you know, especially as he was promised as the replacement for Xabi Alonso. And it was back when every season Liverpool had to sell their best player because the owners were bleeding them dry and you just had a feeling when he when he turned up injured and it was like oh no 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 he'll be brilliant when he's fit and then obviously there's this huge pressure on him because we're about ninth in the league have gone out of every tournament and Aquilani's come in it's like oh he's going to be brilliant and then when he when he wasn't it was just oh well shit (laughs) how did Stuart Downing do for Liverpool because he was also one I was going to consider just because I felt he's always been quite shit, but he might have done. I can't remember him doing anything for Liverpool, but he was all right. We won the we won the league cup with him. Um, not obviously him. Was he instrumental? Was he instrumental um, to that? Well, he played. He played a fair bit. I mean, he was one of those players that we were linked with for about four years, and then just when everyone had kind of called on him and gone, oh, well, we, you know, he's probably a bit past it now. The manager at the time went. Ah, that's exactly the sort of player I need. <laughs> so, yeah, he was he was a real, really, really weird. So that was just a, in general a really weird time to support Liverpool. And I feel like having come through that, obviously the last few years have been brilliant. But you can kind of, I guess, in a in a kind of similar way, United have gone through it in the last sort of seven eight years, where if you can support your team through a period of absolute 
just no direction, shit football, no chance of winning anything. You can kind of, you're there for life then, I think. And for me, yeah, it's I was just at sort quite of, a young age. <laughs> yeah, I've done it the other way around, I suppose. I was just sort of thinking the sort of Roy Hodgson, David Moyes comparisons. And then I think, did Kenny Dalglish follow Roy Hodgson? Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously United have got Holly and, and Liverpool weren't that bad under Dalglish, were they? They never um, really threatened to to really sort of do what they've done now, but I don't think they were that bad. No, but um, he, I mean that's who, that's who we won the league cup under, and obviously back then when you're you know eighth in the league and you've just you've shown no chance. I mean under Hodgson, Liverpool were in the relegation zone at one point. And we're not Good talking times. about first game of the season. We're talking about, you know, six, seven games in. Um, and Dalglish just brought that feel-good factor back. But he was a bit too old school to take the club forward. And then obviously Brendan Rodgers will always be remembered for that nearly season where I thought it's up there with some of the best football I've seen Liverpool play that season. I thought that was brilliant, but obviously not good enough to win the league. Um, and then Klopp's come in and, you know, I... I you know, it's obviously hindsight, but there was a feeling as soon as Klopp was appointed that if we're ever going to win the Premier League, it's going to be under this guy. Because, you know, not since, well, I mean, I mean, in my living memory, certainly a manager with that much quality coming in. Um, I guess Benitez was the only one when he first signed, it was kind of he'd just won back-to-back league titles with Valencia, which was pretty much unheard of. So he was the only one who came in off the back of like, oh, this guy knows what's he, what, you know, he knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I guess we have done it the other way around, really. Yes. <laughs> Shall we um, go on to your predictions? Yeah, on, go on. Your, your results. It's so long so, ago now, I can't even remember what I predicted. It is. It is so long ago. So I've got that. So you actually got the first one you did right. So you said 1-1, United Everton. Oh, did I? Oh, that's good. That's what 2-1 now. Yes. I'm on the board. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think you got any others right. Uh, so we'll kill that momentum there. You said Burnley to Norwich nil. But, I mean, half of that was right. Yeah. But it was, of course, nil-nil. You then went Chelsea 9, Southampton nil. Well, yeah, OK. That was... I don't think I can be blamed for that because Southampton do look pretty shit. And they will lose 9 nil at some point this season. So It's inevitable. It'll be All less right. of us. So you then said Leeds Watford would be two two. I don't even know what the result of that game was, but it wasn't two two. Yeah, it was one one nil Leeds. Yeah, so that was not close. <laughs> <laughs> you said Wolves would beat Newcastle two one again. That might have happened. I don't think it did. Yeah, it did. Oh yeah. shit! You got two yeah, right. Look. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, two all. The comeback is on. Let's. Oh, I bet I end up going ahead. I'm going to say that you didn't get any of the others right, and I'm going to say that with some confidence. Okay. You said Arsenal would lose 2-1 at Brighton, but that was nil-nil. Yeah. Mostly because Brighton did their absolute best not to score a goal. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit disappointed with Brighton in that game. I thought Arsenal were there for the taking a little bit. I thought Brighton played really, really well, but they just then decided not to score at the end of playing really, really well. Yeah. Anyway, Palace won <laughs> Leicester 2 that didn't happen, I don't think. Oh, I was pretty close. It was two all. Yeah, but you got neither the score nor the result, right? So in many ways, you weren't that close. Yeah, but I, I was a goal off. Unlike You reckon the... Palace can just claim a point there then? So it was nearly 2-2. So, or did Palace win? No, it was 2-2. Two, two. 
Palace can claim a point because they drew. What did oh, I predict? Yes. No, so you <laughs> predicted Palace won Leicester too. Oh right. Okay. I was gonna say I thought I had I thought the comeback was complete then. No, so what I meant to say was do you reckon Leicester can just claim the three points? <laughs> I mean it would do yes. them a favour. It would, but then I feel like their achievement might be quite hollow if they win the league that way, just claiming they've won games they blatantly haven't. <laughs> you said Spurs won, Villa won. No, oh, that's two one Spurs. Two one Spurs. So again, you know, close. A map target own goal. You then said West Ham three, Brentford one. That did not. That was no that Brentford was won. That was a good win for Brentford. They've they've done quite well. They have, and then and then the final one. Your ballsy prediction made about Liverpool winning 2 0 against yeah. City. That was your heart speaking over your head, I feel. <laughs> I don't think that was that was a particularly unreasonable prediction, but I thought it was at the time. Did you? Didn't, what what didn't would you have say anything? I would have gone probably with a city win. No. Well that would have been only by a goal. Well, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon James Milner had money on a city win. And Liverpool to finish with 10 men. Yeah, probably. So are, you, are we doing your predictions then for... Is it this yeah. weekend? Please tell me football's yeah. on this weekend. It yeah. is. It is okay. this weekend, yeah. Okay, so the early kickoff, we've got Watford-Liverpool. 2-0 Liverpool. Villa-Wolves. 3-1 Villa. Leicester-Man United without Varane Leicester. and Maguire. 2-1 Leicester. <laughs> You're going 2-1 Leicester? Yeah. What is that just based on you've got no defence? Just based on the fact I think Leicester will win 2-1. <laughs> yeah, but there's got to be more of a feeling behind that. It's just, just one of those games that I just can imagine United dropping a dreadful performance and losing in against an energetic team who are quite good. Yeah. Will you be pissed off? Uh, no, because I'm expecting it. Yeah, but does that make it... Because sometimes when I think, oh, Liverpool are going to lose this game and then they do exactly what I thought they would, that winds me up even more. No, it will be annoying, but it won't be as annoying as like losing at home to Villa um, or away at Young Boys. At the Wankdorf. At the Wankdorf Stadium. <laughs> well, OK, City-Burnley. 6-0. To Burnley. I mean, <laughs> if you want to assume... That's... You think it's going to be 6-0 to City? Your City routinely put five and six past these teams at home, don't they? I don't know. I, I always... It, I do you want me think... to go... Do you want me to go more conservative and say 5-0? No, you go with what you want. But I, always, I just have this feeling that Burnley are a bit more solid at the back than six. But I think they're in the relegation zone, aren't they? Yeah, but they're, they're like... They're always... not, that, not that solid. <laughs> Always around around that sort of, or they play like they're always around that that sort of area. Um, all right, Norwich Brighton, three one Brighton. Southampton Leeds, two one to Southampton. They got to win every sometime, haven't they? No, they're shit. Uh, West London derby, Brest Brent. I nearly said Breston. Who are Breston? Brentford, Chelsea. 1-1. Oh, you've changed your tune on Chelsea, haven't you? Mr. Like, oh, I think they're the team to beat. And then they drop. I didn't say I didn't say they would go. I didn't say they would go the whole season without dropping any points, did I? Well, we'll go back and listen because you were quite your entire head was firmly up Thomas Tuchel's butthole. It wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I just think he's a good manager. 
Everton, West Ham. 2-1 to Everton. Newcastle, Spurs. Oh, okay. So before we get onto this, apparently Steve Bruce is on his 999th game as a manager and he's going to get sacked before, <laughs> before the game. It's, I mean, it's quite funny. I think he'd probably prefer to be sacked before the game, though, rather than just after it. Because obviously then his 1,000th game will be somewhere else, a new club. Whereas if he if, if he doesn't get sacked before, he almost certainly get sacked afterwards. And then it will just kind of be the whole day will just be the build-up, will just be him having to answer questions about the fact that he is inevitably about to get sacked. And then after the game, whether they win, lose or draw, he will have to answer more questions about the fact he's obviously going to get sacked. But do you not, do you not think... Like, would he get a job anywhere else? Oh, yeah, I reckon so. Really? He got to, well, Watford, Watford sacked their manager every other game, so he's got to have a chance of getting that job eventually. Yeah, um, but he's not, he's not. He'll get, he'll get a job in the championship or something, won't he? Yeah, I suppose. Oh, he was at Sheffield Wednesday up until 2019. I didn't know that. I must say that's that passed me by. And he's and he's been at Sheffield United. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. And he's done Sunderland and Newcastle. And he's done Birmingham he's... and Villa. <laughs> That he's done Wigan twice. Oh, he really has been on the merry-go-round, hasn't he? I personally hope that if he does get sacked, he goes back to novel writing full time, and that we can get the next. Yeah, instant. I reckon he's. Yeah, he's got to. He's got to follow those books up, hasn't he? And the last few predictions. Uh, oh, so what did you go? Newcastle Spurs. I didn't because you interrupted me to talk about Steve Bruce's in, impending departure. I reckon that Newcastle may sneak a result in all the the glory of their takeover by some of the world's worst murderers. I reckon they might win 2-1 and also Spurs. Spurs are shit. So Arsenal Palace. Um solid and unspectacular 2-0 win to Arsenal. Okay. Have you written them down? No. I'll you know just listen. I'll to. just listen this to the will... podcast and get our we say that every up. we say that every time. <laughs> when we get to start of the episode, we we talk about the predictions and we're like, I can't remember. Well, our podcast is taking over the former Commonwealth. We've got <laughs> listeners now in Canada, the US and Australia. I feel like those are the uh, Nothing against those countries, but if we're going to try and take over the former Commonwealth, I would like to start with some of the more exotic places. What, in terms of listenership for a football podcast? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so where, where would you like this podcast to reach? And let's see if we can manage well, I, I don't don't really know who else was in the Commonwealth. <laughs> you did a history degree. You didn't do the Commonwealth, though. Yeah, but it's the former yeah, British Empire. Sort of... You must know like roughly where it is, pretty much everywhere. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what part of the <laughs> I would like for the Sudan, but I don't know if they were ever part of the Commonwealth. Well, which which part of it? Because there's the South, the South Sudan. The South Sudan. I'm pretty sure that was the I thought that had something to do with Gordon of Khartoum, but I don't know where Khartoum is, so thank you. I was not incorrect. <laughs> Cartoon is in fact in Sudan. Okay, how are we going to go? And about then, preferably this? for us to do a live show there. All right, I'm fine. I don't with know that. how we're going to. I, I made no pretense to being able to get this to happen. 
No, but you're the Twitter guy. So I was. I would say that's, that's very much a part-time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's surely you're more likely to to be able to set that up than I am. So get on get on your tweets and tweet the South Sudan FA. Do they play under one team? I don't know. <laughs> well, well, you've you've come up with oh, I want to. I want listeners in South Sudan. And you don't seem to know an awful lot about it, Lawrence. It might not even be a country anymore. It might have been subsumed into someone else at this stage. I don't know. Maybe someone from Sudan or former Sudan could let us know. It is a country. It's quite a big country, actually. Massive. So that was our geography segment. We've done films and geography. It's like a really bad episode of Mastermind or something without any questions. Yeah. So it's, it's fucking nothing like Mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's like a bad pub quiz, but then that is also there have been no questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, this is what happens, listeners, when there's no football on. Lawrence and I have nothing to talk about. It's a short editing job for you because we haven't even done an hour yet, so you won't even need to edit it. It's fine. I mean, do you, have you watched any women's football? I've never watched a whole game. I would say I've never watched more than 10 minutes of it. Um, I, I, I mean, this isn't going to make it in, so I don't know how much you want to discuss this, but it well, sounds condescending. Don't, don't I think say they anything. should. Don't say anything. <laughs> no, because it's hard not to sound condescending as a, a white man when you talk about anything really um what okay why why do you feel like that because we have an immense privilege <laughs> because we are white men we have yeah. no hardships no obstacles in our life particularly based on like factors that you have no control over um no but the way that i feel you... it's difficult to to sort of um to understand what other people have had to go through when they talk about things like race or um gender bias because you haven't really ever gone through that so I think you have a different yeah, experience no, I, I fully I fully agree with that I thought you were coming at it from a you know how sometimes in the generational gap you hear you'll hear like a, a really sexist old man go oh you can't say anything these days I thought you were coming at it from that point of view no no what I was going to say and it sounds condescending because I think they should absolutely be allowed to play and that's just sounds <laughs> well, that's, that's very progressive. But, no, because no, some people are like, some people are like, oh, women shouldn't play football, that sort of stuff. Um, they absolutely should. And they should like have equal opportunities to play for clubs um, and things like that. But I also think it's, I don't think it helps anyone to pretend that the game is, like the game is slow and it's not that technically, like it's not technically that great. Um no, but it's and getting so better, you're not watching that. Yeah, no, it is getting better. And I think one of the things you can't forget is that I know women's football has actually been around for a long time as well, longer than people think. It's obviously not been professionalised in the same way that the men's game was. But the evolution of like men's football from you know the 1800s through to the modern day, obviously you've got 200 years of the game evolving in that time, evolving from sort of just a, a dribbling game to a game where passing came in, to a game where pressing came in. And obviously the women's game has to be allowed to develop in that way. 
but I just feel like the physicality is never going to be on par with the men's game. Um, and I think the speed won't ever quite be on, on par with the men's game. And I just feel those two, when you, when I watch sport, I kind of want to watch the very best do it. And I just feel with women's football, there will always be that it's not as good as the men's game. That's just my view on it. So it's but sort do you of not, do you not show any interest in it. But do you not think that that comes from the fact that there hasn't been as much investment in the women's game? You know, you go back to before proper money came into the men's game. It wasn't as quick. It wasn't as technically good. It wasn't no, that's as, what, but that's what I mean. So, that's what, absolutely what I mean about the fact the men's game has had 200 years to kind of evolve through all those stages. No, um, but, it's, think... but, it's, but it's evolved more in the last sort of three or four five ten years than it has in the last 200 the men's game well it has in some ways in terms of the physicality like they're obviously or not obviously because not everybody knows but there have been some massive changes before that time period as well um i think in terms of the physicality everything's being pushed to the limit now that you know there's all the marginal gains one percent things that contribute to these players being able to do what they do now but i just feel even if you took that approach to the women's game it won't be on par with the Premier League, what you see in the Premier League week in, week out. But then there's, but we're talking about with the Premier League, it's the most watched. Yeah, yeah but, the, but that's what I mean. But that's world. why I wouldn't, I don't watch championship football particularly. I don't watch Portuguese football or French football um, no. and it, because it's slower. I don't feel it's the pinnacle of the, the game. You watch the odd game, like we watch the playoff final or something because it's yeah. an important game and it has that drama. But I don't watch that sort of football often because it's not the pinnacle. It's not the best you can see. So I feel like that's the reason. I also don't really have any interest in the women's game, particularly. Well, I think that might be part of the part of the problem. And I mean, if there is anyone out there who is a female footballer who would like to come on and discuss this with us, that I'd be definitely open to that conversation because we can sit here, you know, as as Lawrence pointed out two male football fans speaking about women's football but we don't really know what it's like to be a, a female spectator or player so if you are yeah, but, that's, there... but that's also what I mean about the fact that again and I said it sounds condescending they should you know should absolutely be allowed to play and it should be on television and stuff because obviously you need to give role models to people and uh, and this would be interesting to speak to someone who's actually been through it I don't know whether watching football for uh, a, a woman would they like look up to the women's players more or would they still look up to sort of the Premier League players um, sort of but this is this is what so. I was going to say is that it's almost part of the problem is that it the way it's marketed is exactly the same as the Premier League where surely there's it, it is a different product it's the same game but you could market it slightly differently and I think the what people, what the Premier League is really lacking for some teams and for some people is the is that sort of heart and soul of the game, where is it where it's not just all about money. And I think the women's game has such an opportunity to be the kind of the the where it is just all about the football, where there's no diving, there's no kind of nasty the, all the shit bits about men's football, you know, the the cheating, the spitting at each other, the shouting at the ref the you know some of the fans playing horrible the racist abuse that that players get in men's football there is such an opportunity for the women to kind of show 
the men's game another path, another way to, to play the game. And I think that's what the people who are responsible for marketing marketing the women's super league is you know that that's what they're missing they 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 need to there's another way to market it rather than just going oh this is exactly like the premier league because as you say people who have watched the premier league for so long they're just going to go oh well i'll just watch the premier league then if it's well, exactly the same. this is actually something i've kind of been interested in this and i don't know what the right answer is but i do have always one wondered whether it was the best move for these football clubs to have women's teams and I don't mean that in terms of they shouldn't be allowed to play again I mean that I think perhaps the women's game would have been better served in the long run by establishing their own clubs yeah because because that's what they've done in in cricket is the women's the sort of shorter versions of the game they have completely different teams to the men um, they're still based at the same grounds and they have a link with the, the men's county teams, but they are essentially, they've got different names, different kits and stuff. So they have their own identity. And I do feel, again, part of this, when you see it advertised, you know, Man United versus Man City, it, it's, com- trying to com- it's comparing naturally when it's in the Women's Super League, it's going to be compared to the, yeah. the Premier League version of that game. And it's just not, it is not going to come close to the, the interest or the authenticity of that game. And I do just wonder if they'd have been better off if they'd had their own clubs. And even if these clubs had been linked to Premier League clubs and received sort of funding and facilities from the Premier League clubs, I think maybe that would have been a better way so that these teams sort of grew their own identity and it was something completely different and that you didn't have that point of comparison that they will always have with the men's game in terms of, you know, when Chelsea play Liverpool it's already sort of automatically being compared to the men's game. And I don't think that does the women's game any favours, particularly at the moment or in the long run, because you will always have those people that aren't interested in it at all and will sort of be against it based on the fact that it's sort of being compared. Yeah, and I guess... I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if that's, you know, the way forward or not. But as we said, we're sort of speaking from very limited exposure to most of these issues so yeah but there is there is a there is a way of doing it. i mean you look at tennis women's tennis is watched just as much as as men's tennis is so there is it seems that the team sports just seem to get it get it wrong somehow and it would be interesting to try and figure out you know what's going wrong or where the disconnect is maybe it is the marketing but i mean how many people tuned in to watch emma raducanu play yeah, everyone, but everyone I don't I know. know watched it. So, uh, tennis is a bit of an isolated sort of sport. In that, it's probably the one sport that I can think of, the one sort of major sport, if you like, where the female game is on a parity with the men's game. But that's because yeah. it's had it's got the same level of investment. It's kind of pr- it's the tour is, but it's sort of always been. Tennis. Tour. But it's sort of, I don't know what it is about tennis, but tennis has always been quite equal, hasn't it? It's, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, the, the female women, game the has always play been less a sets, but yeah, yeah, no, no, but I don't, I don't mean in terms of like that, but I mean in terms of its sort of its opportunities, its coverage, yeah, its exposure. I don't know what it is. Women's tennis has always been sort of on a parity with there's never been anything sort of that all women shouldn't play this that they've had to overcome is there it's, it's no. sort of quite unique in that 
And it's Respect the same with, I mean, w- women's golf is is really popular as well. Like the Solheim Cup, which is the female version of the Ryder Cup, that has loads of viewers from all over the world. So it's really strange that, and there must be a crossover as well. So the same people that are totally okay watching women's tennis, totally okay watching women's golf, for some reason aren't or not as interested in women's football, which seems... I don't know. There, there, there is just a, a weird disconnect there where the team sports getting it wrong. It's even worse in rugby, at least in at least in women's football. You know, they're playing in proper stadiums at the Six Nations rugby. It's like they're playing at a, a, rug, a local rugby club pitch sometimes. Well, no, as I said, we'll have to we'll have to get to the bottom of this. Just we'll fix it. As to what the no, <laughs> two no, no, white I'm, men will fix it. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. It would be interesting to speak to someone who knows a bit more about it. We got off on a lot of tangents tonight, didn't we? We did, yeah. I can't remember how much small talk we did before we started recording. Yeah, probably too much. You reckon? (laughs) Yeah, all right. Well, worst of luck to United for this weekend. Oh, good one. (laughs) <laughs> it's too. It's, it's only Monday. It's too long. We've still got another England game to get through before we even think really about Premier England, League football. They've got, they've got hungry, hungry tomorrow. Away. At least right. not home, but at least Hungary are actually a football team. So, and a country. So that's sort of the two requisites for international football. I mean, it's good job that we're at home, really, because I mean, to be honest, I don't understand how Hungary is still allowed to play international football, really, with their behaviour. For the last few games, no, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's sort of the, it's a bit like the same as sort of the sports washing thing, where when you go and play in Qatar and things like that, it's sort of how much do you, it's sort of carrot and stick, how much do you sort of punish them, and then how much do you try and work with them to improve their country. That doesn't sound too arrogant, but it's sort of, yeah, I guess it's difficult to say they shouldn't be allowed to play any football because it's not. The whole country isn't the problem, but so I just think it's UEFA just don't really have any interest in tackling the problem at all, do they? Really? No, but I think the last time we played there, it was they'd filled they had a stadium ban and they filled the ground with school children and they still had an issue with racism. Now that's that's a wider issue than than just a few knobhead football fans. Yeah, it is, but then you sort of wonder. All right, if you say they can't play football, does that really? Because it is, it's a government, isn't it? It's a, you know, is that really gonna? I don't think football. You can, you can't sort of change the country by saying their footballers can't play. Uh, it's an issue they've got actually with Afghanistan at the moment in terms of the cricket. Afghanistan are quite a new country to cricket, um, and and they'd actually started to do quite well. They've produced a few players who are sort of as good as anyone in the world. Now everything that's happened there means that Australia aren't going to host them in a test match. That would have been the first time Afghanistan ever played Australia. Um, And you sort of think, well, who does that benefit? Because the Taliban don't give a shit. So all you're doing is sort of taking this chance away from the actual cricketers who'd like to play. So I guess you've got sort of the... I don't think it's that simple an issue. No, but you are... You know, when when you played an away game at your school, you were told how your behaviour 
and the fans' behaviour, you were representing your school. So that's even more so with a country. So I think there's there's definitely a middle ground, but UEFA aren't doing enough. That's obvious. Oh, and I yeah. think the only way to get through to some people would be, okay, well, you know that one thing that you look forward to in the week, well, we'll take that away. I think that's, you know... Yeah, but I don't know if that would, as you say, with if there's you know a problem with school children and stuff, I don't think that's an issue where you just take away football from them is not going to make them think, okay, well, we won't be racist anymore. Because I think, again, I don't really have any exposure to this, but I suspect the reason they do it is because they don't really see anything wrong with what they're doing, particularly from their own entrenched view of the world. I guess what they, most people don't do things they know are wrong, particularly. So I get for it to be such a massive problem. I imagine it's just their view of the world. They just, for whatever reason, don't think, there's anything wrong particularly with what they're doing no but that and that might seem ridiculous to us but i just don't see i just, i can't imagine that there would you know if school children are doing it then nobody's born racist so there's obviously a problem with educating people um, and i don't think the way to get through to people in that situation is just to take things or you have to work with them to try and help them or make them understand your point of view rather than just saying we don't think the same, so you can't do this. No, but I can understand that point if it was the first or even second or even third time that it had happened. Okay, let's work with them. But UEFA have supposedly been working with the Hungarian FA for years on this issue. And if anything, it's got worse. So at some point, you've got to make a, make a stand. And, you know, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it lightly. I'm not saying, you know, ban them from competition because they've you know it's not it's it's obviously it's obviously an issue that is that and i i'm struggling how to how to phrase this because i don't think the average hungarian is necessarily any more racist than anyone else but there's something about the environment of being at a football match that brings it out of these people so if you take them out of that situation where there's no there's no football and then you do the education alongside that, then surely that's a better way of going about it than just going, oh, well, let's let's just work with them and chuck the fans in anyway, because ultimately... Yeah, I think there's... I think, firstly, I don't know how much... UEFA might say we're working with them. As we both already said, we don't really feel there's any appetite within UEFA to actually do anything about this. So I wouldn't know how much they're actually trying to make the situation better. Um, and secondly, what has just come to mind is I think with Hungary, it is a very specific group of, not small group, but a large group, but it's a specific group of sort of ultras who are, I think, all dressed in, in sort of black or something behind one of the goals that are responsible for most of this racist sort of chanting and, and actions in games. And yeah, there's no reason why UEFA and the Hungarian FA can't identify those people and ban them from going but the fact they haven't sort of just shows that there's no there's no appetite particularly to improve it so but yeah, is it I just don't. them because as I said you've t they've taken them out the ground no, it is I think no that I, they ha I don't think they have done anything to address them it, I think my I think from memory it is a sort of a large group of this sort of ultras or whatever that are that do you know, you might get other idiots join in because they're in that situation and they have some of these views and they think they can get away with it in that setting. But I think with Hungary, it is a group of 
particularly at the football, there's a large group of them and they they are quite easily identifiable because they all wear the same thing or whatever. Um, and I get it just, I don't think there's any appetite particularly other than to find them because that's nice for UEFA, get some extra money in and, and line their pockets with it. But I also think there's, it's difficult for, if you say you ban one country for racism, is it just racism that you ban countries for? Or can Qatar not play football anymore? Um, you know, should other countries in the West, you know, should America be banned from playing football? Um, because they have problems with race and invading the rest of the world. It's sort of, I don't know where you, where, no, I suppose because, the problem for because, football with all these issues is where do you draw the line on these things? No, but I think that's, I think that's a bit reductive because it's quite simple where you draw the line. It's as soon as the ball is kicked inside the stadium, you know, polit- football and politics in terms of, you know, a nation's politics clearly have, they, they don't, they don't correlate because there are countries that behave appallingly but are still able to own football clubs, etc. So I can understand that distinction is drawn, but it's very different looking at a country's record on race, homophobia, and being inside a football ground and that taking place. I think that's where you draw the line. If you've got a nation where every time a black player is on the ball, they're whistled at, they're monkey chanted, they're, they're, you know, you name it, it happens. That's where you draw the line. That's where UEFA's jurisdiction is. UEFA has no right to tell America not to invade Afghanistan. That's that's a completely irrelevant point. But what where their jurisdiction is and should be for the protection of the players, the supporters and everyone in between is inside a football ground. You can't just let someone get away with or get let an entire no, no, nation not, get away with chanting. I don't, I'm I don't, not, not suggesting that you I don't are, think but... it is the whole I don't think it is the whole nation with Hungary, but also there's no there's no cause for Spain not to be allowed to play football anymore. Um I remember I don't know if it still goes on there, but I remember a time in the mid two thousands where every time an English team went to play in Spain, um yeah. there'd be monkey charts and there was no yeah. real problem anybody seemed to have with that particularly because it was Spain. Um, but I do also think I know I do understand the distinction you're making between what happens in the ground and everything else. I do understand that, but I feel those lines are becoming more and more blurred when you start letting countries own football teams. Um, yeah, for the for the purposes of nothing more than sports washing, I think that is blurring these lines between. It's easy for football to say we're going to make a moral stand whilst really doing absolutely nothing about things that are going on in football that are probably in the long term just as bad as anything that's happening on the pitch in the short term. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's surprising. You kind of wonder how bad does it have to get before the fans realise how powerful they are. Look what happened to the Super League. If the fans were to mobilise really against whether it is sports washing, that they would force change because UEFA would shit themselves, FIFA would shit themselves. I mean, how FIFA is still an organisation, I don't know. But I think that's got that's the only way that things are going to change it, it, from, from where I'm sitting because these organisations are purely ceremonial. They're offering no real... You know, they, they have rules, but they never enforce them. So that means the rules offer no protection at all. So the only way that it's going to change is if fans 
if fans change it themselves. And I think football grounds, particularly in England, are becoming more accepting places. Certainly from when I first went to, you know, went went, went to foot when I was first taken to football matches, some of the chants that were there were a homophobic chants pretty much at every ground. You know, there's there was a few Liverpool chants, but I remember going to Old Trafford to watch Liverpool and that song they used to sing about Jisung Park, which the punchline was about Scousers, but it was still racist in between. So, and that doesn't happen anymore. So the, 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 there is there are slowly becoming more accepting places, but I just think that it's all very well for us to go, oh, the Premier League, we, we shouldn't really look outside of that. The Premier League's best league in the world and, and what we're doing is fine. But I think the FA, the English FA, does have a responsibility to the rest of Europe and the rest of the world to kind of show them, particularly on issues like this, to show them how how to move forward with this. Because the Hungarian FA, if they're any, you know, if they're anything like the English one, they're just as useless as they are. So they're obviously not doing anything. UEFA, we know, are just as corrupt, second only to FIFA. So it's got to come from the fans, hasn't it, really? Yeah, it does. But I think football is, as you say, it's also, or no, I think as you, as you say, as you're alluding to, it is a reflection of society as well. The reason those chances have sort of stopped at football grounds is not because football has done anything. I don't think particularly. No. It's a reflection of wider society. And I think it's difficult, As again, as you said, it's, it's difficult for bodies like UEFA, FIFA to tell other countries how to act. Um, I think it's got to be a more, you've got to try and affect a more gradual change in terms of the long term for these problems to be fixed. I think you can obviously take short term measures, but I don't know how much they help or I don't know how it kind of gets back to the point. I don't know if giving Hungary a stadium ban for five games, I don't know what that would do. I think you have to look obviously punish in the short term what you can punish where things are obviously wrong but I think you have to look more long term than that and I just don't see how football particularly can particularly affect that sort of change I think it has to be a a wider bigger change in a society that's then reflected at football I don't know how much football can drive that particularly on the issue, on those issues anyway, like, you know, the issues of who owns football clubs, obviously that absolutely is a football issue, but I don't think there's any consensus particularly. Um, the Super League was sort of, it was a a unique event, I guess, in a wider context, the wider context being football fans generally having had enough of being ripped off by people who don't even like football, the owners, FIFA, UEFA, those sort of, the people making money from football and the Super League was sort of the individual spark that everybody could unite around. But there's not really, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly that would unite football fans like that because most City fans don't have a problem with who they're owned by because they're successful. You've seen with Newcastle, their reaction to the takeover, that again, I sort of, I do understand the excitement from a football point of view, but they don't, particularly have a problem when push comes to shove about who's bought them. PSG fans, do they care? Probably not. Um, So I don't really know. There's no consensus to unite around to push these people out of of football. Well, on that bleak note... (laughs) (laughs) I guess, yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I just think that at some point, 
the scales are going to tip because it can't, you know, as we said last week, countries owning football clubs is not sustainable. So at some point it's going to, it's going to break. And um, yeah, don't really know what else to say other than that. <laughs> so, so pointless. It's all pointless. No, we've already we've already named an episode that. Yeah, I know, I know. It's actually part two. We <laughs> no. Well, I think we got we managed to find some stuff to talk about, didn't we? I feel like I feel like I've just had a therapy session. Yeah, and not even any of it was slagging off Arsenal. Oh. Well, we nearly went a whole them. episode without mentioning them. It'll have to be the next next international break. When is the next international break? We've got a, a gap now, I think don't it's, we? No, I think it's November. I think you oh, get one it? in November. Oh, yeah. fuck's sake. All right. Well, we'll be back next week when Premier League... There's some actual football to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see you then. Lawrence doesn't say anything on the outro again. Go on, say bye. <laughs> say bye to the listeners. No. No. <laughs>